even a little while, you've probably heard this story, uh, this interaction between uh, the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well and, and Jesus. And it's, um, it's easy when we come to, to a familiar passage uh, to put it on cruise control, right? To think, be tempted to think, I know this one. I've heard this one a dozen times. I've read this one over and over again. Or, or if you're reading through the Bible, we come, we come in some passages like, ah, I think I've heard this. Or, or sometimes it's like, man, I, I don't even remember this. But then other times there are those passages where we're like, oh, I know this. And it's, it's easy for us to miss what God has for us. It's easy for us to, to be tempted to think, I've got this. I've heard the podcast. I've, I've read the commentary, whatever. And yet with, that, with every passage, we're asking, what does this tell us about God? What does this passage reveal to us about God? So as we come to, to this for some of you, a very familiar story. I hope that, that we, uh, we're ready to hear from the Lord. So John 4.1 says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. You may have noticed by now in John, he uses parentheses a lot, right? More than... Uh, more than any of the Gospels, certainly, I, I, I don't know if there's another place in Scripture where parentheses are used as much. Um, John wants us to know, right? Uh, verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 31, he says, I'm writing all these things so that you'll believe, right? John, John wants us to have a life in Christ, which comes through believing in him, believing that he's Lord, believing that he died, that he rose again, that, that we needed him to die for our sins. So John, everything he writes, he wants us to know what we need to know. So he gives us these parentheses, and he's like, i got to add this little detail. you got to know this thing. There's a professor at Multnomah. Um, apparently, every time he reads in John, um, he whispers in the parentheses. right? And I think he did this when I was there too, but it's, it's just it's hard to remember because it's been a while. Um, Anyway, uh, so it, he'd read something like this. He said, uh, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing uh, more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. I'm not going to do that, but just know that's a thing. And um, it, he puts those things there for us, right? He wants us to know. So I mentioned this last week. So why are the disciples baptizing not Jesus? I, I probably should have read this from 1 Corinthians. This is from the Apostle Paul. Um, he says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name, right? I think Jesus didn't want anyone to think I'm good to go. I'm saved. I've been, I've been baptized by Jesus, Messiah himself. He had the disciples do it. So um, verses 1 and 2 here, the Pharisees, Jesus learns that the Pharisees had heard that, that popularity is rising, that people are coming to Jesus. He's baptizing more. He's got more disciples than even John. And then verse 3 says, he left Judea and departed again. Right? Like we, don't, we don't get this insight uh, as to why exactly 
it's not super clear why exactly he left. He, there's a connection here. He, he, he learns that the Pharisees had, had heard this, and he takes off. But it, it's a little confusing as to why. And there's, there's multiple ideas I want to give you, two that, that I think are, are true. There might be some others that are also true, uh, but I feel pretty confident about these two. Um, Jesus uh, knew why he came. And over and over again in the Gospels, we'll hear it said, either by him or by the author, that his time had not come yet. So we've already heard that in John chapter 2, when Jesus is at the wedding, his mom's there, mom says, they're out of wine. Jesus says, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not come yet. Jesus knew that he was there, he, he needed to be crucified, he would lay his life down as a sacrifice, but he also knew that the timing mattered, and Jesus was in control of that timing. It was not the time for the Pharisees to arrest him, it was not the time for him to be delivered and crucified. John ten eighteen, Jesus says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my father. So it's not that Jesus was nervous that the Pharisees were suddenly going to ambush him and capture him. Jesus was in control, and he knew it it was not his time yet. So I think that's part of why he left. Um, I think verse 4 also gives us another clue why he left. It says, And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to the town. Uh, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field of Jacob, uh, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. So it says he, he had to pass through Samaria. If you've heard this before, you've probably heard someone say Jesus had a divine appointment. Um, I think we have a map that we can pull up here. So he's in Judea. He's got to get up to Galilee, right? And that arrow points to the town that he ends up going through. So it says he had to go through there. Um, Now, geographically, it probably does. That route probably makes the most sense. We'll get in. Hey, thank you. That's awesome. Um, We'll get into in a little bit um, how Jews felt about Samaritans. For for now, uh, there's bad blood there, right? So a lot of Jews apparently took that uh, route drawn oh so well in red um, to avoid the Samaritans at all costs. Um, so uh, there are some Jews, apparently, uh, we know this from some historians back then, that there are some Jews that did still go through, uh, through Samaria, um, but, but a lot didn't. So was this a divine appointment? Yeah, I think it was. Uh, in verse 25 of chapter 2, and this won't be on the screen, but it says, Jesus didn't need anyone to bear witness to him about man, because he knew what was in man. He knew the heart of of man. If we think back to the story of Nicodemus in chapter 3, Jesus knew his heart. Nicodemus starts off with this one thing, and Jesus cuts straight to the chase. Jesus, similarly, he knew, he knew the, the heart of this woman. He had to go see her for her sake. He had to go see her for the sake of many in her town that would, would come to trust in him through her witness. So Jesus had to pass through Samaria. So what's going on with Samaritans and with Jews? I'm just going to read um, from uh, D.A. Carson. He wrote a commentary um, on the Gospel of John. And I'm just going to read his words. Otherwise, it's just me pretending like I know all these things. Um, so after the Assyrians captured Samaria in 722 B.C., 
They deported all the Israelites of substance, okay, the important Israelites. They deported them and settled the land with foreigners who intermarried with the surviving Israelites and adhered to some form of their ancient religion. And we know that from 2 Kings chapter 17 and 18. After the exile, Jews returning to their homeland, the remains of the southern kingdom, viewed the Samaritans not only as children of political rebels, but as racial half-breeds whose religion was tainted. Around 400 B.C., the Samaritans built a rival temple um, on Mount Gerizim. Uh, The Jews had their temple, and and they built one on Mount Gerizim. So there is thick racial tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews considered the Samaritans to be less than. The, the Jews considered themselves to be superior. These were, these were half-breeds. I think the best way to kind of imagine it is just in our own history, in our country, with, with segregation. Um, I think that's the best way for us to picture the animosity, the, the hatred, the pre- prejudice, the, the racism that existed. And Jesus had to go through there, right? Of course, Jesus is going to go to the outcast people. And not only does he go to the outcast people, but, but we'll find out he goes to the outcasts of the outcasts. It's interesting in, in, uh, with Nicodemus in, in chapter 3, Jewish man, Jewish leader, religious leader, we don't see him in chapter 3 turn to Jesus. We get to see more of Nicodemus later in John. But here we're going to see a Samaritan woman turn to Jesus. We're only doing half the passage this week, I should say that. We're ending at 15. At 40 minutes, you're going to be like, man, he's only in verse 15. We're in trouble. We're stopping there today. Um, so next week, we, we get to see her turn. But, but he, here, Jesus comes right to, to the people that are the outcasts, the half-breeds. And this woman is going to respond to him. Our truth statement for this week is, is Jesus exposes our sin. So we'll see our need to receive from him the eternal life-giving spirit. It's so gracious that, that Jesus, he, he exposes our sin. And what does that do? It, it shows us the trouble we're in. It shows us our, our problem, that our relationship is, is, is totally broken with God. Our, our sin stands in the way of us. We need to be forgiven. If he doesn't show us our sin, we don't see our need, that we need the, the eternal life-giving spirit. Verse 6. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So Jacob, or Jesus comes to the town. He comes to the well. He's tired. It's the sixth hour. It's about noon. Okay, it's hot. He's thirsty. He needs water. 4-7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So the Samaritan woman comes to the well by herself. And, and, and that's odd. Normally, women would, would come together. They certainly wouldn't come the hot part of the day. They'd, they'd come either earlier or later. And you, you don't need to know anything about Samaritan well practices to know that yeah, women would go in groups, 
right? Like we see this even in modern day. I don't know when I noticed that women go to the bathroom together sometimes, but probably when I started being interested in, in the opposite sex, I realized like, man, why are they all going to the bathroom at the same time? And women, you may not understand this, but as a dude, when we're in the bathroom at the same time, which is not together, we just happen to be there at the same time, we don't even talk to each other, okay? And guys are laughing because it's true, right? We, like we... We just keep focused on what we're there for, and then we're out, okay? Uh, I was at a Blazer game once, and there was a dad and a son, and I'm waiting my turn, and, and dad's talking a ton to the kid, and, and the kid's clearly annoyed, but I don't know what's going on. And then finally the, the kid, and he's, he's probably like a fourth or fifth grader, he looks at dad and goes, dudes, don't talk in the bathroom. It's a rule. <laughs> and then the dad shut up. Yeah. And the kid's right, like men and women are different. So this, whim, this woman coming to the well by herself is, is telling, right? And we find out later, not, not, uh, not in um, the first 15 verses, but we find out this woman had a reputation. This woman had five husbands. The woman she lives with now, it's not her husband. Right? Other women, they don't like her. Right? She, she, she's got five broken marriages herself. Who knows how many marriages she broke up. So she comes to this well all by herself. And Jesus says, give me a drink. Uh, he would normally say that to the disciples. They would get that for him. But he, he sent them off to go buy food. And, and just a little side note here. He did that on purpose, right? He, he sent them all off. It's not, like it, it's not like he needed every one of them to go carry the food. It wasn't going to be that much food. But he sends them all off. He sends them to, to a city full of Samaritans, right? And they, they've heard their whole lives that Samaritans are, are less than them, right? They, maybe they fully bought into all those beliefs or, or not, but it certainly affected them. And now they have to go and, and buy food. And how, how smart of Jesus to send them on this trip to confront, to confront their, their prejudice against these people, Right? They're, they're going to have to buy food prepared by, by people that they thought would defile them if, if they shared anything. I think that's one reason Jesus did it. The bigger reason is Jesus wants, wants to have a conversation uninterrupted with this woman. Jesus is always working. Right? He's always doing. He, he's always working in us. Sometimes it's easy for us to see, oh, God, that's why you did that thing. And we don't even realize that three or four other things, or maybe thousands of things, that he was doing. Jesus is always at work. So he, he wants this conversation with this woman. His disciples, they're learning their own lesson right now. But he wants this conversation because Jesus is intentional. She had no idea that he was going to meet her. He knew. He knew that this conversation was going to happen. Verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. This is absolutely shocking to her. It's shocking that, that, that a Jew would talk to a Samaritan, even more so that, that, a, that a, a male Jew would talk to a Samaritan woman. And it says there that, Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. One translation, the, the Net Bible, it says, For Jews use nothing in common with Samaritans, i.e., they don't use the same dishes and the same cups. They don't want to get contaminated by these 
people by these half-breeds. They, they, they believed it would defile them, and she knew that. She's aware what the Jews thought of her people. She, she, if she hadn't interacted with a Jew before, she'd at least heard stories. So she can't believe that, that this man is, is asking for a drink from her that, that he'll need to use her stuff in order to get this water. She can't understand why Jesus isn't concerned with being defiled by an unclean Samaritan. But what she doesn't know is that the touch of Jesus heals person after person. We see this throughout the Gospels. That the touch heals the lame. He heals the blind. He heals lepers. There's a woman that's bleeding for more than a decade. The touch of just his garment heals her. D.A. Carson says Jesus sanctifies what he touches. And the Samaritan, right, she's not, not just a Samaritan woman, like I said. She's a Samaritan woman with a history that for her carries so much shame. She's been with man after man. She's got a reputation around town. And, and here she meets Jesus. And I just wonder how long it had been since she met a man that didn't want something from her. Or a, a man that would treat her with the utmost respect. Who knows what she was used to from men. But unlike other men, Jesus didn't want anything from her. What he wanted was for her. He knew the, the gift that came through God that he was offering. He, he wants the best for her. He wants her to have the life-giving spirit. He wants her to be able to abandon her sin and, and turn to him. Jesus and the gospel are not limited, right? There are no barriers for the gospel. There's no place that Jesus cannot reach. No, no cultural barrier, no economic barrier, no, no racial barrier, nothing. Right? We put limits on God, but he is not limited by them. He's not bound by them. Verse 10, Jesus answered her. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. If you, if you just knew the gift of God, if you knew how good what, what God offers to you is, if you, if you understood who's talking to you right now, you'd ask, and you'd, you'd be given living water. So living water, there's two ways that she can understand this. Right? This living water, just in an earthly way, could be fresh, good, clean water. Right? Not, not, not out of a cistern, not in a well, like just, just good, clean water, quality water, right? And we are blessed with water here, right? I don't know if you've looked at the forecast this week. We got a lot of rain coming. We have some sun, maybe down the horizon, but it's always a maybe around here. We have so much water, right? I live on a little postage stamp. I have three springs on my property. Right? We have so much water. Here, this woman, water doesn't come so easy. She's got to walk to this well. It's a dry, arid place. So she could think of it that way. Or this water could be sourced from God. And water in the Old Testament, there's, there's so much that I could read to you. Um, so many places to go. But there's, there's just a few few verses I want to read to you. I read this one two weeks or a few weeks ago at Easter, um, not even thinking about today, but it's so applicable. Jeremiah 2.13, it says, For my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain 
of living waters, the, the, the source of this living water. They've forsaken me, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves. Right? They've, they've dug into the earth these, these pits, and they've lined them somehow so that they'll supposedly hold water, and, and they, they, they gather up all that water. And all it does, though, is it sits there, and it stagnates. And they think that this is better than the fountain of living waters. Right, but what they don't know is these cisterns are broken. They don't even actually hold water. Isaiah 12.3 says, With joy, is God talking, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Isaiah 49.10, They shall not hunger or thirst. And we'll talk more about that later. Isaiah 44.3, For I will pour water on a thirsty land. And streams on the dry ground. I'll pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing upon or on your descendants. Ezekiel chapter 47 uh, is this picture of, of the temple, right? Where God's presence dwells and, and, and there's water flowing out of the temple, not just a trickle, but flowing so much so that, that it, it's a river, right? And in this river, it just teems with life and everything that this river touches there's there's life there's trees growing there's plants water is this this picture throughout the old testament and speaks speaks of god speaks of his presence his his faithfulness his grace his provision knowledge of god knowing god it speaks to life there's a picture of, of, of cleansing that this water brings from God. And it speaks to the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit of God flowing into you and, and, and giving you life. D.A. Carson, to quote him again, says, uh, In this chapter, chapter 4, In this chapter, the water is the satisfying, eternal life mediated by the Spirit that only Jesus, the Messiah and Savior of the world, can provide. So water, Jesus isn't just talking about water like she thinks he is. She says in verse 11, it says, The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from, him, drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So she looks at Jesus, she evaluates him, and she doesn't think he's capable. She, she, she says, do you have a bucket? How, how are you going to do this? How are you going to get this water? Are you going to dig another well? Do you think you're greater than Jacob, our, our patriarch? Who, he gave us this well. He, he drank from this. His sons drank from their livestock. She, she doesn't think that Jesus can do what he says. And over and over again in John, there's this contrast between what's from earth and what's from above and, and thinking on this earthly plane and, and missing what's above. And we see this with, with Nicodemus, right? It sounds like Nicodemus, what she says. Do you have a bucket? Nicodemus, when Jesus talks to him about being born again, he says, am I supposed to like crawl in my mom's womb? Like, how do I, what are you talking about? Right? And, and they're stuck they're stuck thinking down here when, when Jesus is, is, is talking about something altogether different. And it, it's, it, it's really interesting to me the, the contrast between Nicodemus in chapter 3 and here the woman uh, 
in chapter 4. He's, he's Jewish. He's male. He, he, he's got power and influence. He's educated, respected. He's trained theologically. And here's this Samaritan woman, uneducated. She's despised. She's gossiped about. She's got, at best, bizarre theology. She's a moral outcast, and yet both need Jesus. Their need is the same. Both need the life that can only come by the spirit that Jesus is offering her. So she doubts. She doesn't believe. She doesn't think Jesus can do this. And yet, you can tell she's curious. Verse 13, Jesus, he responds to her. He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Right? It's a certainty. You drink this water, you will be thirsty. And God, he, he's our creator. He created us with hunger and thirst. There's a pastor up north in Bellevue, Jeff Vanderstelt, and he, he talks about um, how gracious it is that God has given us hunger and thirst. That every day we have this reminder in us that we need something from outside of us in order to give us life, to keep us going. Right? That every day God's built in us like, oh, I'm thirsty, I need water. Right? You actually you need water. You go a while without food. You cannot go nearly as long without water. And Jeff says that this physical reality points to a spiritual reality. Right? That we're, we're not this closed system. We're not self-sufficient. We need something outside of us to give us life. We can't, we can't give ourselves life. We need God's Spirit to bring about life in us. So Jesus points out to her, You're going to get thirsty again. You can come to this well, but you're going to get thirsty over and over and over again. We get thirsty, we go and satisfy our thirst. We have a longing, we go to satisfy. We want to feel alive, we figure out how do we satisfy that. So we go to this well over and over again. And Jesus says, day after day, you're going to have to do it. This well, are going to, this well will quench your thirst, but you're going to have to come back again. Day after day, she picks up her jar, treks out to the well, lowers the bucket, retrieves the bucket, fills it up, goes back, drinks over and over and over again. We incorrectly believe that our sin will satisfy us, right? that, 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 that it's going to give us what we long for. And there is some amount of satisfaction in our sin, but it's temporary. We must return over and over again. We, we want to quench our thirst over and over and over again. And sometimes doing that leaves us more thirsty than we were before. Every well we drink from, apart from God, leaves us thirsty. We thirst, we drink, we're satisfied. We thirst, we drink, we're satisfied. We go to the wells that we know, the wells that we're used to. And Jesus is exposing, this doesn't work. It's all you know, but it isn't all there is. He's helping her see that her needs can't be met by anything in creation. That no sin will fulfill her thirst. That, that, that what she longs for can only be met fully by God. By the life that he gives, eternal life. Verse 14 says, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Right? This isn't earthly water. This isn't well water. It's not tap water. It's not LaCroix. Okay? This is 
This is altogether different because our thirst isn't for water. Our thirst is for God, for eternal life in the presence of God, to know God and to be known by God. He says you'll never be thirsty again. Can you imagine not thirsting anymore? But, but what does he mean by that? Is he taking away our thirst? No. It, 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 says, it says the water that I will give will become in him a spring of water. Right? It, it, it's, it's God continuously meeting our thirst, perfectly meeting our thirst over and over again without end. He says, in him, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's what this water leads to. That's what this work of the Spirit does. Our thirst is met by, by the pouring out of the Spirit. John six sixty three. it says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. In, in John seven thirty seven and following, it says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So it's the Holy Spirit that gives us life. I mean, we've been talking about this for for multiple weeks now. The Holy Spirit is in each and every believer, each person that is trusted in the death and the resurrection. Uh, of Jesus, right? That, that Jesus' sacrifice was a satisfactory payment for our sins. So the Spirit is in you, and it's like this spring supplying what you need perfectly without end. Right? There, there's needs that, that we've, we try and meet through others, but the Holy Spirit's the only one that can meet our need to, to know God, to be forgiven of sin, to be known by God. If you haven't trusted Jesus, he's inviting you. Right? God has this open invitation, no matter who you are, what you've done. God invites you to come. If you have your Bibles, would you turn over to Isaiah 55 with me? Isaiah chapter 55. I love this passage. It says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? You labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in, in rich food. Incline your ear, come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Verses 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Everyone who's thirsty, God invites you to come. Come and drink. Be satisfied in God. Forsake. He says, forsake, forsake your evil ways. Abandon your wells and, and return to the Lord, and he will, he will forgive you. 
Verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Just give it to me. I don't want to be thirsty anymore. I don't want to come to this well. I hate coming here by myself. It's a reminder every day that my life isn't what I wanted it to be. Day after day, I'm, I'm stuck trying to fulfill all my thirsts. I'm worn out. Just give me this water you're talking about. And I wonder at one point the woman started thinking about the wells in her life. My guess is we'll, we'll get into those verses next week, that that's when, when it starts to happen before. But at some point she's going to realize Jesus isn't talking about water. And like Jacob's well that she went to and was mostly satisfied in the moment, her relationships hadn't worked out. Each one's left her thirsty. She ended up feeling emptier than before. What she thought would satisfy, it's actually eroding her from the inside out. So living water right now, even if she's not sure if it's real, it sounds really good. So how do you respond? You meet Jesus at the well. He offers you living water. What are you thirsty for? What are the wells that you go to? Have you realized yet that these wells will never satisfy you the way that what God offers will through his spirit? Nothing like what Jesus is talking about. The Holy Spirit giving you life, dwelling in you like this spring that continuously satisfies your desire to know him, to be known by him, to have life in and through him. So will you trust that Jesus can really give what he offers? You're going to go back to those wells. You're made by him, right? You're made for him. It's gracious that he doesn't let us be satisfied by anything but him. That every other source leaves us thirsty, leaves us longing for more. Christ followers, you know what Jesus is talking about with this woman. You've experienced living water. You know, you know that that's right, that only God satisfies you here. And maybe you're thinking, yes, amen. But why do we go to other wells still? Right? Why, why do we drink? Why do we entertain the thoughts of, of getting our satisfaction in anything but Christ? Someone who doesn't know about Jesus, they're unaware. right? They don't know how good it is to be in Christ. But you know, I know it's time for us to abandon, abandon those things. Quit running back. Quit holding on to these secret hidden wells in your life. It's time to board them up. It's time to fill them up with dirt and, and, and drink only from God. Trust only in the Lord. Right, that the Holy Spirit really will bring about that life within you. After I pray, we're going to take communion together. We'll have men up here serving and you'll take the bread and the cup. And this is for people that have trusted, right? You've trusted Jesus. The Holy Spirit's coming to you, giving you life. When you take the elements, take them back to your seat and reflect on what God has done, reflect on his, his death, his resurrection, how crazy it is that he wants to know you, that Jesus at the right time gave up his life for you so that you could be forgiven of your sin. Let me pray. Jesus, God, we thank you for your word. 
Lord, we thank you that, that you are intentional, that you meet us right where we are, that, that you expose our sin, you shine light into darkness so we can see we're in trouble. We're in a world of trouble, and you're the only one that can save us. Jesus, we thank you that you, you paid the price for us, that you were the substitute on our behalf, that your blood was shed for our sin, that your body was broken for us, that we could have life. Lord, would we worship you? Would, would we respond to you, Lord? It's in your name we pray. Amen.